You know, Christmas is a wonderful time of the year, isn't it? I mean, aren't you, are, are you ready for it? Oh, yeah, mixed emotions there. You know, in our culture today, many would say that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, right? I mean, you got with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer, it's the most... Yeah, okay, this is interactive today, okay? I mean, it is full of fun. It's heartwarming. It, it, it's different music that we sing, good cheer, gift-giving. People wear different clothes sometimes, right? Decorate trees in their homes, have parties. It's this break, this big break from the normal routine. Everything seems so nice, and yet we read the passages, and we're going to look at Matthew this Christmas season, Matthew's uh, uh, story of Christmas you really see a picture of something quite different than the celebrations that we have today. I mean, there's life and death drama. There are unexpected turns that, um, oh, they must have been frightening for those that were involved. Teenage parents left alone to deliver the baby. Well, there's a frightening experience in and of itself, right? No room in a decent hotel, so they were relegated to the stable with the animals and... uh, The whole thing of the tax that was required, Mary and Joseph, to travel by foot late in her pregnancy. And then after the birth, there's this whole attempt by the king, Herod, to kill Jesus. And Mary and Joseph, they whisk the Messiah off to Egypt in order to spare his life from this tyrant king. I mean, when you read the story of Christmas in Scripture, you see this very human drama of what's going on in the world. To be anything but the warm fuzzy carol singing parties that we do today. It's somewhat scary, frightening, dangerous, somewhat implausible. And it happens against all odds. Now that's the human, physical, worldly side of the actual events that take place. And yet the true reality of what's happening is not in this physical drama we see played out. It's in this spiritual realm. It's in this spiritual reality. Because in the spiritual reality, what's going on? The heavens are rejoicing. A multitude of angels appear to the shepherds, singing glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. In fact, angels are appearing everywhere. An angel appears to Mary, announcing her calling to be the mother of Christ. And an angel appears to Joseph to tell him everything's going to be okay. The angel appears again after the birth to Joseph and tells him to get out of there, head to Egypt. Herod's after him. So I guess the question I have is, what's really real? Where is reality found? Is it found in what's going on in this human drama of stables and no room in the end and the journey? And is that really what's going on? I think Scripture teaches us over and over to look for truth and look for reality, not in the human, what our eye can see drama, but in what's going on in the heavenlies. Ephesians 6 says what? Our our war is not against flesh and blood. What is it against? Principalities in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us not to look at the things that are seen or the physical world, but to the things that are not seen. Because that is where eternal reality is found. And so these three messages leading up to Christmas, uh, that's the premise of them. 
Reality is found in the spiritual realm. Jesus came not to disrupt the Roman rule of Jews, not to deliver the Jews of that time. Jesus didn't even come to dismantle Phariseeism in the first century. Although he took his shots sometimes. He came to save the world. Spiritually. Oh, there is a human drama, but it's only there to help us understand better the spiritual reality. And I would contend the same is true for the circumstances you and I face day in and day out. I mean, when you have a conflict over something, there are spiritual things going on. There is more going on in the spiritual realm than than the eye can see. God is always working His spiritual purposes in our lives. And uh, I mean, I think we could all testify many times it's in the most unpredictable ways, right? (laughs) The most unexpected, unlikely. So we're going to use the human drama in this first few chapters of the book of Matthew to look for the Christ of Christmas. We're going to start with kind of a character study today of Joseph. Starting in Matthew 1, verse 18 to the end of the chapter, it reads like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew translates for us, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let me ask the guys in the room, how would you like to be cast as Joseph in this drama? (laughs) I've always been intrigued with the role Joseph plays in this drama because I wonder what I would have done in the same situation. I mean, just think about it. He, He had lived his whole life in such a way to be thought of as a good person. It says he was a righteous just. He followed the Jewish law well. And in the context, that's what it means, that he had done all that he could to... Be a model citizen in the Jewish community. And people, his peers would recognize him as someone who was good, respectable, proper Jew. He's betrothed, engaged to Mary, which meant to, they were so engaged in that cultural context that it would take a divorce to uh, get out of this. It was legally binding. They didn't live together, but were contractually committed to one another. Joseph had everything in front of him. The future looked bright for this Jewish man, and in a moment's time, in one manner of speaking, all of that was gone. 
I have a different plan for you, Joseph, says the Lord. Mary is pregnant. I wonder how that conversation went with Mary. I wonder how Joseph initially reacted to the news of his betrothed Mary was now pregnant and he knows that he's not the father. We do know from the passage that Joseph eventually has this plan on how to fix the problem in the most logical way. Typical guy thing, right? We get a plan to fix the problem. He's going to send her away to most likely live out her pregnancy in kind of isolation, kind of hide her in some remote place. We don't want any public scrutiny. Not only that, the death penalty is for adulterous women. She's surely going to be seen as adulterous. I mean, there's a lot of spiritual lessons we can take away from this circumstance. And here's one. Taking matters into your own hands is not God's plan. Ever. Right? Taking matters into your own hands is not God's plan ever. In other words, when we take matters into our own hands, we're acting out of our flesh. Our flesh has ideas in which it, can, it thinks it can make things right. It can correct things, fix things. And sometimes we see a problem. We don't consult the Lord. We just run off and try to fix those things. I say it with some emotion because I'm speaking to moi. You see, Joseph had decided what should happen and Let's just strike out and do it. Let's fix it. It was the logical thing to do. So I, you know, I ask you, when you're faced with problems, is your initial reaction to find the most logical way of solving them and then acting upon it? Taking matters into your own hands? I think sometimes we just need to hear this, that taking matters into our own hands is not God's plan ever. I mean, Joseph thinks he has a problem, doesn't he? Joseph says, I've got a problem. Let me ask you, does God think Joseph has a problem? I mean, God did this. Have you ever been in a situation that you thought was a real problem and after it all played out and you realized that God had this incredible purpose for what you went through? You thought you had this huge problem. And in fact, God sees it as the way to accomplish His purposes and His will. I mean, I could just give you a whole litany of scriptures that, uh, example after example of where man thinks he has a problem, and it's really God's divine will. Well, let me ask you something deeper. Does God sometimes create the problems? Some of you look at me like, is that a trick question? Does God sometimes create the problem? Moses and the children of Israel in the Exodus. God leads them where? To the brink of the... Red Sea, Pharaoh's army's coming up behind him, Red Sea in front of him. Moses thinks he has a problem. God knows he has an opportunity. Abraham and Sarah, they were too old to have kids, yet God had promised them one. Abraham's going to fix the problem. He takes matters into his own hands, impregnates Hagar the maid, trying to help God fulfill his promise. You ever tried to help God fulfill? You see, Abraham thought he had a problem. And God knew he had a plan. Remember the disciples on the boat on the sea? They were out on the sea and the storm was severe and Jesus was doing what? He was asleep down below. I mean, this was a bad storm. It was life-threatening. And you know what they say to Jesus when they wake him up? 
I know none of us have ever said this to God, right? Don't you care? You never said that, right, to God? Don't you care that we're all going to die, Jesus? The disciples thought they had a problem. Jesus knew they didn't. What should you do when you encounter various trials? James 1 says to first do what? Consider it all joy. Because, because of the power, the opportunity for the glory of God to come flooding into the human condition. The, the work of God to bring His purposes about in my life. And secondly, not to see the problem. I like that little phrase. Let's see if I can remember it. Your problem is you think your problem is your problem. You ever heard that? You see, we need to take a step back and to see things through the lens of the Spirit that lives within us. There's this situation. There's this problem. I consider it all joy because there's opportunity for the power and the glory of God to be revealed in the midst of this problem. And then this verse in 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says this, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. What I'm going through is, so, is this temporary. I'm going to take a step back, look at it through the lens of the Holy Spirit. And our questions of, uh, don't you care, God? turn into, how can you use this, God? Another lesson we can learn from the circumstance that Joseph finds himself in is that playing your role is all that matters. Always. I, I, I don't know all the internal struggles Joseph must have been feeling. I mean, don't you ever, when you read the Christmas story, wonder about Joseph? What does he think? We don't ever hear from Joseph. There's no words in the scripture that, Jesus, that Joseph says. In fact, what happens to Joseph after the birth? Well, we see him pop up one more time when Jesus is 12 and they come to the temple. And, you know, they leave him there and they go back. He says his parents look for him. And then what do we hear of Joseph after that? Nothing. And so we don't understand. We, we can only imagine the things that this man might have been going through. When he faced the reality of his situation. But they were put to rest by the word of God. It has the power to do that. The word of God spoken through the visitation of an angel. Joseph, son of David. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he, your son that you will raise, will save his people. From their sins. You know, this is kind of heart searching for me. I, I think, you know, what about my faith? What, what about if an angel appeared to me and revealed something uh, about my future, about my path that I wasn't really all that keen on? <laughs> Let me ask you, what if an angel or God revealed to you that your life's mission was simply to parent the next Billy Graham? You okay with that? I mean, that's the summation of your life. To be mom and dad to someone that will change the world. 
I mean, what you did for a living was really inconsequential. Your whole role in the mission of God in this world, your whole purpose for existing was simply to be the father or the mother of this special child who would have this significant impact for the kingdom of God. I mean, I think there would be some people that would say, but what about me? (laughs) Why couldn't my parents have that calling? (laughs) Why couldn't I have been that guy, right? I mean, one of the hardest things, we say it all the time, but one of the hardest things for us humans to realize is that our life is not about... Our lives touch so many other lives, and God has this master plan. He's got it all woven together. He's got your place and your place and your place, and He sees this whole master plan of where every puzzle piece It's in your unique spot, your unique calling, your specific mission, place. And as Christians, we've been purchased, it says. When you purchase something, you have control over what you do with it, right? We have been purchased for his purposes. Look what it says in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for whose? His good pleasure. It's really not our choice as to what role we will play. It's always his. Now, I don't want you to laugh, okay? This will hurt my feelings if you laugh, all right? When I was in junior high, I wanted to grow up and be an NBA basketball player. I heard that. You know, I grew up out of that, and I realized that was a dream that was far-fetched. When I was in college, I wanted to be a musician when I grew up. And God had other plans. You know, the human world, it tells you to live your life in such a way that when you get to the end, you can look back and you can see all that you've accumulated, uh, the money that you've made, the success you've achieved, the influence you've had, the mark you've made, and... uh, Lots of goals and dreams and hopes. And, I mean, can you imagine if Joseph had felt that way? That was his, I want to fulfill my hopes and my dreams and make my mark. And Joseph did simply what God wanted him to do. He believed him. He believed his word. He received him. He accepted his role. And the point is, agreeing with God's plan reveals God's Son personally. I mean, when I am walking, keeping in step with the Spirit of Christ and His guidance in my life and saying the things that He says through me and loving people around me and letting His Holy Spirit just have complete access, there's a revelation of the Spirit of Christ to me and through me, that doesn't happen any other way. See, Matthew inserts an, an Old Testament prophecy here in the, between the message of the angel and before Joseph awakes. He quotes Matthew seven, I mean Isaiah seven fourteen. He says, "Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel." And then he makes sure that we get it by translating it. That means God with us. God with us. 
I mean, we understand from all, many other New Testament passages, how is the world going to know that Jesus is God's Son, how He's real? It's through the people that God is with, doing God things. They'll see this revelation of the life of Christ through the way we do things, the way we respond to conflict, the way we handle problems, to disappointments, to failure, to success. They'll see the revealed Christ in us and how we respond, like last week, how we respond to our enemies or those that have hurt us. And they'll see the God with us, the Emmanuel, when we don't return evil for evil. And how we accept success with godly humility. Then it's Emmanuel, it's God with us, God in us, God through us. And if you're around Grace Bible Church very long, you'll know that we refer to Galatians 2.20 quite often. And um, many times we focus on the first half of the verse. But I want you to pay close attention to the second half of the verse today. It reads like this, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You know, we we talk a lot about this co-crucifixion with Christ, that the old me has died with Him. We're a new creation. The old is gone. This new has come. It's no longer me who is living my flesh trying to work out things, but there is this powerful life of Christ Jesus through His Holy Spirit that is living in, 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 in me. There is this exchange that's taken place. The old me for the Spirit of God. But then it goes on to how do I function in that life going forward? The second half of the verse, and the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The life I now live is one with the indwelling Christ in me, totally dependent on him for the next step of my journey. I can't even imagine the faith Joseph must have had to believe the word of God spoken through the angel to take Mary as his wife when she was pregnant. I can't imagine the faith required to make this journey to Bethlehem so late in the pregnancy. I think, am I living by faith? Are you living by faith? What does that look like? Accepting his calling no matter what. The scripture, it says, my, my personal idea of what life was going to look like before coming to Christ, my hopes, my dreams, my future, crucified with him. I'm now purchased. I belong to another. I'm yours. If you want me to fulfill one specific role as my life's calling, and then you want me to fade into obscurity, Joseph, I'll do it. I believe in you. But as long as I am breathing the air of the earth, as long as I'm still living in this earth suit called a body, I will be completely dependent on you. I will look to you for everything. Every conflict, every problem, every opportunity, every decision, every success or failure. 
I just bring it to you. I put it at your feet. I just want the fullness of the life of Christ breathing through me, living in me. There's this this choice that we make to live life as this adventure of faith. And I really call it that, an adventure of faith. And letting Jesus just unfold this, this next chapter of our life, this beautiful love relationship that He has with us. What role, what role do you have for me now, Lord? That's really all I want. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, and, uh, here we are the first Sunday of December. And we look at one, perhaps the most familiar story to the Christian faith. And I guess my prayer is that we would connect with it and see how the living Christ in us Yes, it's played out through the human drama of the activities of life, but this this spiritual reality that we have been called to live in, this this, this life of faith, this, this life that is lived step by step by faith, not imposing upon you, not trying to coerce you into our world and get us get you to do the things that we want you to do, but this totally dependent, submitted, sacrificed. Life. And I thank you, Father, for the, the character of Joseph and the story and the, the wrestling that he had. And the, we see the man in him trying to solve the problem. And, and yet there is this reality that you wanted to bring him into. That is, this is just what you've been calling him to do. This is his purpose, his mission in life. And Father, all across this congregation, I know that there's Most likely people wondering about a decision that they need to make or perhaps a confusion of why life is the way it is right now. Or There are people that are perhaps dealing with conflicts and broken relationships and difficult things with others. And I pray, Father, that in all of our situations that we would turn and look to you and say, Lord, what are you doing here? What do you want to do in me through this? How do you want to use me in this? Now, Father, I pray for the breaking down of pridefulness. And I pray, Father, that there would be a humbleness as we come to you and say, Lord, you can have anything you want. You can do anything you want. I have a path. I, I, I have a will and you have a will and I know yours is better. And I, I want my will to be yours. And I want to make the changes in order to be able to line up with what it is that you're doing in the world. And I just want to be a part of what you're doing and who you are. And I can have that peace and that rest and that relaxation in you, Father. So give me that faith. Give me that kind of belief system, that kind of ever-reaching, ever-guiding faith. 